Esme definitely articulated that they were free, not that we were each going to eat three. Um, though I guess that's a possibility. They coordinated really well, didn't they, in their dress? Anyone, anyone else about that? Yeah, this is, this is good. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, if we've not met before, I'm JP. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's um, so good to be together. And um, how many know this morning that there is power in the agreements of the people of God, right? In, in the kind of vocally expressed amens, in the kind of come-ons, in the hallelujahs, and um, just want to give a bit, kind of bit of permission for that kind of in our worship, in our, in our preaching, just that um, we can kind of e- express uh, externally the, the, the life-changing truths um, that are in the Word of God. And I know that um, some of you guys from African nations can really uh, help us with this. And we've got a number of Nigerians in the room today. Yes, come on. Hey, we got any, any from the, the tribe of Yoruba today? Anyone here from Yoruba? No, no, no. I guess some of you guys will know by reputation. Yeah, we have. Kind of, come on. I know, I know that people in Europe are a bit louder than that, Pat. Come on. I've been to your parties. I've been to your parties, Pat. I had very little idea what was going on, but it was a wonderful experience. Kind of getting in there and thinking, why, why is everybody wearing the same thing? There's a, there's, a, there's a cloth that the person chooses and people kind of uh, buy into that. It's wonderful. And then uh, we got the... Um, the pastors were asked to come forward to, uh, to pray for, uh, for the couple, and um, there, was, uh, there was eight of us, and uh, three English guys followed by five Nigerian pastors. And so, of course, all the English people are thinking, there's eight of us here, so how long are we meant to pray for? Maybe sort of a minute, two minutes each. You know, there's eight of us to get through. Everyone else is watching, so, you know, we're kind of God bless them, amen, on to the next one kind of thing. First Nigerian pastor steps up, 10 minutes. Yes, come on, next one, 15 minutes. We're actually like, yeah, we want to go again, kind of. This, this is the, this is the point, the, the joy, the fun, the celebration that God has made us, we, we can bring that into, into our gatherings together. So just to release the permission for that this morning, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, indeed. Now, one of the things that I absolutely love is a good Twitter storm. That's a, a 2020 uh, term for you there. So uh, some news item that generates lots of chat um, on the social media platform, Twitter. And of course, uh, this week we've had the um, Colleen Rooney, Rebecca Vardy, um, Wagatha Christie trial going on um, all, all around us. And um, uh, we also, did anyone see the BBC News ticker uh, this week? Uh, someone kind of practicing how to use it entered in, Man United are rubbish. And it went live on BBC One, kind of, they go for all to see. But um, I suppose on, on social media platforms, there, there has been a lot, a lot of discussions and Twitter storms on, um, shall we say, some much more important issues um, this year. There's been quite a lot of chat about human rights, hasn't there? Um, to, you know, as regards sporting ownership and uh, hosting of sports' biggest events. There's been quite a lot of talk about ethics as the uh, US Supreme Court um, leaked that uh, draft um, uh, opinion on abolishing abortion. Uh, there's been loads of talk about sex, as there always is, sex education in schools, polyamory, uh, that MP that accessed porn in the House of Commons. Uh, there's been lots of talk about, about gender, whether that's uh, sexist slurs or uh, debates about uh, who it is that can compete in female sporting events or um, politicians being asked the question, what, what is a woman? And um, as, as Jesus followers, where our, our first aim is, is to humanize these conversations, right? To, to get to know those involved as uh, individuals, to recognize that these are conversations that involve real people with real stories, often of uh, pain and, and confusion, and sometimes a sense of otherness, and then to show the, the good news of the grand story of God that gives us this unshakable identity and this unconditional acceptance and this unwavering hope that we have. Conversations like these ones, they, they can feel quite hard, can't they? 
it can feel quite hard. And whether that is um, hard to contribute to, maybe that you felt that you with your, your friends, your family, your colleagues, uh, you can know that hey, Jesus is the best news ever. And, and yet sometimes it feels like it's speak up and get canceled or cut out, or it's stay quiet. Well, but sometimes they can be hard just, just to work out our theology in the midst of what we think on some of these kind of societal issues. And yes, some of the reason for that is the speed the conversations move at. It's very quick, isn't it? Often the terminology can be quite specific, quite niche, and leave us feeling disempowered from, from engaging in the conversations. But mainly they feel hard because of the weight of opinion in, in society around us that militantly says that challenging anything other than this, that challenging the secular perspective is not only wrong, but is actively damaging and unloving. And it can be hard to, to live in a, a culture that so aggressively communicates uh, one perspective and then intolerantly tells us that um, any other perspective is intolerant. That's a, that's a hard place to function in, right? And, and of course, the underpinning assumption is that to love someone is to accept every decision or action of theirs. And that disagreement, even if it's uh, gentle, even if it's humble, with who a person has decided to be gets labeled bigotry, doesn't it? Now, my difficulty is that the further you take that, it just unravels more and more and more. Like if, if I parented my kids like that, never de disagreeing with their decisions, it would be absolute carnage. Or where exactly are the sad but regular events of trauma and serious mental health conditions accounted for when we say that a person gets to decide who they are? Who is it that gets to decide that your deepest desire, that your desires are the deepest part of you? Or what it is that is up for grabs about those feelings? It can be hard to work out our theology in such a, a pressurized environment when holding it a biblical perspective can sometimes put us up against it. And so I want to ask today for conversations uh, like these where sometimes the good news of the gospel to a, a culture that frankly is full of bad news can sometimes be seen instead as bad news to a culture that thinks it's full of good news. I want to ask the question, how does Jesus treat us when we feel up against it? How does Jesus treat us when we feel up against it? Because if we're gonna bring some challenge to some of these secular perspectives on these issues, we need to know that Jesus has got our back, right? And, and, and I guess you can ask that kind of, how does Jesus treat us when we feel up against it question from a Christians in society angle. But I suppose it's just worth noting kind of early on that we can ask that question personally as well. Maybe you're feeling that today. I just feel my life circumstances right. I just feel really up against it. How does Jesus treat us in those times? And um, to do so, I, I want to draw on a, a slightly strange emphasis in uh, Matthew's gospel that we're working through at the moment. This is something that Matthew uh, talks about more than um, the Holy Spirit and the church and ministry to the poor combined. There's 12 incidents that get referred to of over 50 verses in this gospel. And in fact, in one of the other Gospels, Luke, he, he has 50 verses just on the birth of this guy. It is, of course, the person and work of John the Baptist. Now, uh, Ben uh, began his message last week talking about John, so uh, we know where that's heading. Um, I said in the, in the practice, no pun intended, but it kind of came out. He, he got his head knocked off, if you don't know the story. But we'll leave that one in. 
Um, I, I, I really wanted to grow a beard for this message. You know, John had a big, long beard. I really wanted to find some camel's hair and a leather bow, uh, belt, kind of dine out off honey and locusts. That was the, the diet and the, the clothing of the poor, such as he did. But um, Emma stopped me at the beard growing stage. So, you know, there we go. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Words are going to come up on the screen. I'm reading from verse 2. Here we go. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why? Why does Matthew spend so much time, including material, on John the Baptist? Well, here's a little bit of kind of Matthew background for you. John John the Baptist fulfills the story of of the people of God. So he, he leads a group of people into the desert where they pass through water by being baptized. And that's basically what happens in the Exodus. And John's point is that there's a new Exodus, a new freedom from the sin that you're under that is available, which is fulfilled in Jesus, who, of course, is fulfilled when he gets rocked up and baptized by John the Baptist. And then he goes on to fulfill, this is John the Baptist, all of these these Old Testament promises. So Isaiah talks about a forerunner who uh, from the desert would uh, prepare the way for the Lord to come. And the book of Malachi talks about the same. It talks about a messenger who would announce that suddenly the Lord is going to come again to his temple. Temple here meaning the earth. And then we've got this kind of strange Elijah thing that gets uh, referenced. It was referenced in in verse 14. Um, Elijah was an Old Testament character who uh, was taken up to heaven. Uh, He spoke truth to power, and it was believed he would come back again, and that his coming would be significant because it would precede the coming of God himself to earth to bring his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his domain. And so in that sense, John the Baptist has this kind of Elijah-esque, you might say, role. And he tells the people, repent, turn around, turn away from walking away to God and look back to God and come to him in Jesus because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He started his ministry of that in chapter three. Jesus then picks up at the start of his ministry in chapter four. 
But Matthew also talks so much about the John the Baptist because the Gospel of Matthew really is a discipleship manual. It's all about how to follow Jesus. And to use the wording of the Great Commission, it's about the Jesus who has all authority and so demands all obedience of us as his gospel goes to all nations. And he says that he will be with us always. And so John the Baptist is almost like a kind of prototype disciple playing his part in God's story. Now, let's be clear. We don't prepare the way for Jesus. He very much goes ahead of us into our situations, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our lecture halls, our families, our weeks, our challenges. He goes ahead of us. Hallelujah. And neither are we between the covenants, as John the Baptist was. Like he, he stood at this kind of unique pivot point, the last prophet of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, just as the new was dawning in Jesus. But we do, we are called to live lives that point to Jesus. God does have us announce his kingdom in word and in deed. He does want us to witness and to speak for Jesus, to tell the world around us of its need to repent of its need to stop kind of living for itself and turn around to know the purpose for which we have made, to, to know God and to glorify him to ever, forever and to announce to the world that we can do this because of the finished work of Jesus. Matthew includes so much on John the Baptist because the disciples of Jesus, frankly, have always been up against it. Whether personally or whether in society, the kingdom of heaven, as verse 12 here puts it, has always suffered violence. So back to our original question, how does Jesus treat us when we feel up against it? I've got three points where the first thing is this. He doesn't dismiss our questions. He doesn't dismiss our questions. Just have a look at this in, in verse two. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent words by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. Last time we saw this guy, John the Baptist, was in chapter 3, and he just baptized Jesus. He was proclaiming the kingdom, and the gospel of John records him seeing Jesus and saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now we find him in prison because he's spoken truth to power, circumstantially limited, well and truly up against it. Now, we've got to get one thing straight here, guys, that the church of Jesus Christ is never truly in prison. That Jesus is ruling and reigning in victory. That the battle is the Lord's, that he is the sovereign one and he has won. That as we think back to the lockdown and um, Tim Hughes did that, uh, the cover of that song, The Blessing, didn't he? The UK Blessing with all those different worship leaders kind of singing the praises of God over our nation and ended with the words, our buildings may be closed, but the church is very much alive. It's why the, the gospel grows in the most, most persecuted of places, doesn't it? It's why we pray for it, things like prayer for the nations. We're never truly in prison, but, but sometimes it can feel a little bit like it, can't it? Perhaps you work in healthcare and you're aware of being prevented of, from initiating prayer with one of your patients. Or you work in education and you, you see a child that desperately needs Jesus but you know the trouble that you might get into if you witness to that. You know that Jesus has changed your life and yet you, you fear that the moment that you suggest to your friends that he might do likewise, you fear being socially ostracized. John starts to doubt 
Jesus, are you the one who's to come? Shall we look for another? He's saying, Jesus, what's going on here? This is not how I expected it to be. I wonder how many of us can identify with that this morning. And by the way, Jesus, where is this axe that is laid to the root of the trees that I spoke about? I thought people had to flee from the wrath to come. And here you are healing everybody. Misunderstood. In the short term, at least, the one that was in the firing line of God's judgment would actually and willingly be Jesus himself on our behalf. And only later would this brood of vipers that John talked about as being the Jewish leaders of the time get taken out as the temple got destroyed in 70 AD. I wonder what you expect when you raise your doubts and your questions to God. It probably depends on what your view of God is. It's just something to ponder on that. When you find yourself up against end, you go to God and you want to express, I don't know why God. Just consider, what is my view of God in this situation? Do I know he's totally got it? Do I know he's a kind father? Do I know that his love for me is not dependent on how I am doing? But how about this for just a beautifully simple response? In verse four, Jesus answered them. Jesus answered them. He doesn't dismiss our questions, guys. He doesn't get angry when we ask why. He's not shaken or rocked by our doubts, but he receives the disappointed heart and responds with his very life-creating, perspective-shifting word. Come on. And he speaks a better story. And that's our second point. He speaks a better story. And he, he moves on to answer John. He says, go and tell John what you see in here. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. This is chapter 11, chapter 10. Jesus just finished a block of teaching. Chapters 8 and 9 before that, Jesus has just done three sets of three miracles where basically he's, he's demonstrating what the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God looks like. And here, he's just summarizing what he's been doing, basically. He's draw, drawing on Old Testament language, particularly in the book of Isaiah. It talks in, in verse 35. I think we've got this on the screen. This is what was prophesied of the kingdom, that then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He's saying to John the Baptist, this kingdom that you've been longing for it's here. It's just not in the way that you thought it would come. But it is real and it is true and it is what was promised. And if it came in any other way, then it would be less. What Jesus does is he takes his question and then he speaks a better story. And I don't know about you guys, but I need to hear this better story every single day of my life. When we feel chained by our circumstances or by our culture or by our health, like we need to know the grace of God in the gospel. We need to know that there is favor on us, that we've done nothing to deserve, that will continue forever. We need to know that Jesus came to identify with us, to die in our place for our sins 
that he came to pay a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And he took it all upon himself. All our sin, gone. All our shame, gone. And then he rose on high to defeat Satan, defeat sin, defeat death. And now he's ruling and reigning in glory. We need this story. Come on. We need this story every time we suffer and we think, has God abandoned us? We need the better story of a God who suffered on our behalf to have us and uses and redeems all our suffering, producing endurance and character and hope. We need this story every time we feel shame or regret. We need the, 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 the gospel that speaks a better story of our shame being covered and carried far away, of a God who, who works all things for good and makes us new. We need this story every time we feel lonely. We need to know that the Bible tells us of one who's closer than a brother, a friend of sinners, a comforter who is steadfast and, and never grows weary, a permanent advocate interceding on our behalf. When we're up against it, Jesus always speaks a better story. And that's another great question to ask, by the way. When you feel up against it and you're wondering and you're trying to process before God, what's the better gospel story in this situation? What does the gospel say in this situation? How would I counsel someone else in this situation? Sometimes we're rubbish at speaking truth to ourselves, right? We can think if someone else asked me this question, oh yeah, right, I've got an answer for you. What does the gospel say? What's the better gospel story? And that might be us. But boy, does our world need a better story too, right? In a week where we've seen an MP jailed for sex assault, a nurse arrested on suspicion of poisoning a child, when we see continual breakdown in the power sharing in Northern Ireland that's trying to be resolved by politicians that are facing serious questions of integrity themselves, when we've seen yet another mass shooting in Texas after yet another racially motivated killing spree last week in New York, when wars of greed continue, when record energy profits are posted at the expense of the poorest in our environment, boy, does the world need a better story. Because the current story of you do you, of be who you want to be, is quite clearly not working. Because what we're finding is that the, the defining our own existence is just way too big a burden to bear as the mental health crisis wor worsens, as there's increased uncertainty about identity in society, as the confusion of possibilities reigns. We can't control or decide on so much of life. The cancer strikes, the, the world still seems to work only for the privileged. Other people are not who we thought they were or, or worse still. I love what Tim Bunker said a, a few weeks ago in his message. He says, society, seeing that it's bad in there, says that the solution's in here. But there's only so much greed and lust and dishonesty and everyone else is the problem that, that we can see before we have to recognize what the gospel says, which is that the problem is in here and that it's been solved by one out there who gave himself on our behalf so we could be saved. Saved from ourselves, saved from life without God, saved from the eternal fires of judgment. And guys, this better story is the key to these conversations in society that are happening. 
And we must be living it out proudly and confidently because it is a better world-redeeming good news story. That Jesus is the king of the kingdom, not us. That he's the one our hearts have been longing for. That he's where our identity and our security and our freedom are found. That he knows how we are made and he knows our every struggle. And in fact, he promises to walk with us in them. And best of all, he's available. You can have him. It's finished on the cross. The offer of salvation open to all. Just two quick things on this point just before we move on. As well as speaking the truth. Jesus showed compassion and he identified with people. And he dined and drank with those whose life choices he wholly disagreed with. And he conversed with his opponents in speech and in action. He was full of grace and truth. And sometimes when it's hard to speak, sometimes people can go the other way and solely focus on speaking out at all costs. And it can sound unloving and brash and judgmental. Let's be like Jesus. The second thing is that if we're to tell a better story, then we need an awareness of stories in our culture that is not, frankly, years out of date. And we need to know how the Bible is a better and a truer story. I remember preparing for a preach just a month or two back and trying to articulate the way that lots of people in society think about a certain issue. I can't remember what it was. And the response came back to me, JP, that's what people thought in the 90s. Ouch. And I find a really helpful resource, even just to kind of throw, throw this in there, to be a blog called Think Theology, uh, just really good at um, engaging on a whole host of cultural issues from a biblical perspective in a uh, grace-filled and loving and kind and kind of good at modeling disagreement kind of way. There's loads of stuff on there, thinktheology.co.uk. You can check it out. But let me finish on our final point. So Jesus doesn't dismiss our questions. He speaks a better story. But how about this? He defends our cause. He defends our cause. And then we see in verse 7 in the text that uh, the messages from John the Baptist go away, and Jesus begins to speak to the crowd about John. And he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? He's meaning like someone who's fragile and fickle. What did then you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Soft clothing there is just talking about the materially comfortable, if you like. What then? Uh, uh, behold, those who wear soft clothing are, are in king's houses. And again, king's houses is indicating luxury. It's a possible dig at Herod, the king, who, um, who had John the Baptist in prison at the time. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Jesus is saying that, that John wasn't just speaking for God and calling the nation to repent, but he was also the subject of prophecy. John was the, the prophesied forerunner of God himself coming. This is he, verse 10, he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who prepare your way before you. And he's, he's quoting there Malachi 3 and Exodus 23 together. Jesus' point is that John the Baptist was neither unstable nor unfaithful. And remember, this is the one who has just publicly questioned him. He's just sent messengers in front of everyone to cast doubt on whether Jesus is really the one. And what do we find Jesus doing? He's just saying, look, his question's just simply a misunderstanding. It's, it's arisen because he's misunderstood what messiahship is about. And, and actually, 
there is incredible purpose and favor and worth on his life. I think this is incredible. In, in the midst of John's doubts and difficulties and publicly questioning Jesus, how does our Jesus respond? He defends him. He defends his cause. And he starts to speak to the crowd about him and say, look at what God's doing on his life. Look at how faithful this guy has been. Do you know what? Jesus hasn't changed. He has not changed. And if he'll do that with John the Baptist of the old covenant, how much more for us under the new covenant when we feel up against it? As verse 11 says, that the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater even than John. Guys, you feeling up against it today? You feeling imprisoned by your circumstances? Maybe you feel dejected by the godlessness that you see all around you and you're wondering where our nation is going or um, into what kind of society our, our children will grow up. Maybe you feel fearful of speaking up, let alone speaking out, worried about saying the wrong thing or uh, sharing your faith or counting the cost of living or thinking according to a biblical perspective. Jesus defends your cause, our cause. That's insane. Right now, Jesus is defending his people. And as the, the passage goes on to show in, in doing these things, ultimately Jesus defends himself and he fulfills his purposes. So identified with his people is he. But if we feel the freedom of him not dismissing our doubts and our questions, and then learn to ask what the better gospel story is in the midst of our sufferings and trials, then we can say confidently, along with David in Psalm chapter three, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Why don't we stand together? Let's invite the band up. We'll sing a song and um, just whilst these guys get ready, I'm, I'm just going to pray. Every time we look in the scriptures, Jesus, we're just amazed by you. This brilliant story from start to finish that you have shown sewn together. All about you. God who chooses to reveal himself to his people, to his creation created out of the overflow of his love even to begin with, and then promising to redeem all things to the ends. And Lord, we know right now sometimes it can feel a little bit bumpy, and yet we pray that you would remind us of these things, that it's okay to be honest and real with you. You don't dismiss our questions. That your gospel story always speaks a better and a truer story. That you know what you're doing. That you're always building your church. And right now we receive today, personally and in societally, the truth that you defend our cause, the cause of the kingdom, that you put good works in advance for us to walk in, that you are a shield about us, our glory, the lifter of our heads, our comforter, our protector. Help us to shine bright for you, we pray. Amen.